So Money Episode 1091, Ask Farnoosh, All Things Credit, brought to you by FICO. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. How are you? September 4th, 2020. Families who are sending their kids back to school, good luck. Good luck with everything. I hope uh, whether you're going into school, virtual, hybrid, that everybody is in a good place, relatively. Um, I have some good news that our So Money Equity Scholarship, the scholarships have been awarded. This week, we announced uh, that we had more than the initial $2,500 that I set aside. We ended up having over $7,000 can you believe it? In contributions from the community, some uh, people donating, you know, everywhere from $50 to thousands of dollars in an effort to help families ride out this uh, fall school year with more ease, whether that means hiring tutors, getting some equipment, technology, childcare. We were able to give out two full scholarships, each worth $2,500 to single mothers, one on each coast, a mother in the Bronx and a mother in California, Northern California. And we were also able to award multiple laptops to families, uh, Chromebooks. We like Chromebooks in our household. Um, I think it's easy for the kids to use and they're light and portable. So I um, sent over some Chromebooks to some uh, some families that really needed it. And it felt good. You know, I was on the Today Show earlier this week on Wednesday and the whole theme of the of the episode or the hour was happiness. Like Hoda and Jenna were like, let's just talk about happy things for the next hour. And they were saying how at the end of the day, the best thing you can do to boost your happiness is to help others, to be supportive of other people. And it can, doesn't have to be just through money, right? It can be through advice. It can be through showing up. It can be through lending an ear. And if you do want to give, Harvard studies show that giving as little as $5, the equivalent of $5, whether that's like buying your friend a cup of coffee or Venmoing him five bucks and just saying, go get yourself a happy something, a smoothie, a coffee, a chocolate bar, whatever you need. But it's just really letting people know that you're thinking of them, helping them not feel alone in the world. And right now, I think the so moneyest thing you can do is to leverage your privilege, whatever that privilege is in your life. You know, in our family, our privilege is, you know, the fact that we are dual income, we have savings, we are both educated. Me and my husband, we are uh, plugged into a community that is also very plugged in. So we have a network and I feel like, you know, the least I can do for someone who's in need of advice or pointing in the right direction is to like share a resource, connect them with another person, give advice. I I hope you can sense that I'm extremely proud and happy uh, about how things turned out with the scholarship and hopefully we'll do it again. Uh, I've got postings on my social media on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn where you can read more about the people who benefited from the scholarship and how it worked and, you know, just all the joy that, that surrounded that. 
Also, while we're talking about good news, Black Wealth Matters is officially an album. You've been hearing me talk about wanting to make this an album all summer. It started back in June, probably after I finished the series on So Money, I realized this is so valuable. And as time goes on, it's going to get buried in the podcast, these really these gems of episodes. So I put them all in one album. It's called Black Wealth Matters. You can find it on iTunes and Spotify, probably other places as well. But it's a compilation of those 10 fresh episodes that I did in the month of June covering the intersection of race, racism, and money. So if you haven't heard it yet, please check it out. You can download the whole album and listen to all of it in one big gulp this weekend if you want, or you can easily share it with your friends. So my goal is just to make it really accessible because those interviews deserve ongoing spotlight. I'm going to put some listeners under the spotlight now. One listener heading over to iTunes now to pick our reviewer of the week. And this week, we're going to say thanks to Beth Elias, who left a review earlier this week saying so money, so freaking good. (laughs) Financial podcasts are in no short supply, she says. And in my constant search for money advice, I've listened to many of them. I tune in daily to so money because Farnoosh covers such a broad variety of questions and has guests that provide insights or ideas that I've never heard of. Also, she provides down-to-earth applicable solutions to everyday problems. She provides an abundance of free content every single day. And by implementing her ideas and suggestions over the past few months, I've been able to double my rainy day fund. Wow. That's awesome. Beth says she keeps you motivated. Farnoosh keeps you motivated towards your financial goals and has some of the best money interviews online. Beth, I'm so glad this podcast has been an invaluable resource to you. The fact that you've been able to double your rainy day account. Congratulations in a recession, no less. Let's talk. Hit me up. You can either email me, farnooshedsomoneypodcast.com or go to Instagram at Farnoosh Tarabi and send me a direct message there. Let me know you're the Beth, the lovely Beth who left this review, and I'll follow up with a link where you and I can schedule a time to chat. I'd love to hear what's next for you and how I might be able to help. Okay, I'm really excited about this episode. This episode has been in the works for many, many weeks. You may recall, if you follow me on Instagram, I sent out a note in my stories saying, what are your top credit questions? Everybody's concerned about their credit now more than ever with interest rates so low. We all want to bank on some more affordable ways to borrow, right? Whether you're looking to buy a home, a car, start a business, credit will probably play a role in that pursuit. And with us today to provide answers to your biggest credit questions, which I rounded up on Instagram and is the basis of this show, is Joanne Gaskin. She's going to be my co-host today. She's vice president of scores and analytics at FICO. And this episode is being brought to us by FICO. So thanks to our friends at FICO. Founded in 1956, FICO is a data analytics company based in San Jose, California, focused on credit scoring services. Its FICO score, which you probably have one, is a measure of consumer credit risk. And it's become a fixture of consumer lending in the United States and is used in more than 90% of lending decisions today. And Joanne, she is responsible at FICO for the strategic direction of FICO's scoring products and business partnerships, serving the needs of the mortgage industry, 
She actually led the FICO Mortgage Recovery Initiative back in 2009. She's got more than 20 years of experience in banking and financial services, and I'm so excited to have her here. We're going to talk about all the credit things, like how do you build your credit if you're in the mid-600s right now? Can you build credit without a credit card? Why do you have so many different scores? Someone writes in and says, I've got 715 here, 819 there. Why are they so different? And is it a red flag. Couples in credit. A lot of you want to know how does your marriage impact your credit reality? And then opportunities that might be available to those with exceptionally good credit scores. Raise your hand if you know your credit score. Okay. I can't see you, but whether you have a perfect score, which would be in the 800s, or you don't want to talk about it, This is an episode for you. We cover so much ground. Joanne is so knowledgeable. I'm going to shift gears now to our recorded interview that we did earlier this month. Here we go. Joanne Gaskin, welcome to So Money. Welcome to our Friday edition of Ask Farnoosh and FICO. Thank you so much for having us join, Farnoosh. It's certainly my pleasure. I'm really excited to have you here. Can't get closer to the source here. We have a lot of questions about credit that we rounded up on Instagram. Many questions coming through the pipelines. It's a really hot time to be talking about credit for a lot of reasons. One, borrowing rates are so low. It's kind of an exciting time to borrow. If you have been eyeing a house, a car, a business, you know, you can borrow at cheaper rates now, assuming you do have a good credit score. So people care more about their credit right now. And I think, you know, with so many people um, opting into these modification plans, deferment, people are struggling and Fortunately, financial institutions are creating some payment breathing room. But of course, all, all of that does get reported to your credit report. And, and some there's some confusion about how and what will the impact be. So hoping to cover a lot of ground with you as vice president of scores and analytics at FICO. Tell us a little bit about your day to day. And I assume you have a great credit score, right? <laughs> Without question. <laughs> well, Farnoosh, thank you. Yes, and I'm lucky enough to have a great credit score and uh, have been able to access all of the wonderful free educational information that we have available at FICO and my FICO in order to have the knowledge of the key ingredients to make sure I got there. But uh, not all of us are always there and it, that's okay. We always talk about the fact that the FICO score is dynamic. People are on their journey. And so I think that this was what this program really is about is making certain that we give folk the information that they need to get to the target of interest for them, as you noted, to access, you know, the best possible rates for whatever financial instrument that they're looking for. So with that, yes, within um, FICO, I am vice president within the SCORES team. And within that function, I am responsible for our mortgage, capital markets, and policy-related issues, supporting the SCORES team. And one of the things that is the most favorite part of what I get to work on is a program that we'll talk about called Score a Better Future. I was given the um, ability in 2018 to fund a new program that's designed specifically to get into markets to do exactly what we're doing here together today to you know help people understand how scores work because we do believe that 
financial literacy equals financial empowerment. Yeah. So we have a question first. I think this is a great segue to our first question from a listener who wants to know more about how to build a healthy credit score. There's still a lot of confusion around this. You know, one of the big myths I get, I I come across, um, and I've heard this for years, is like, I should carry a balance month to month because that's going to help my credit score. Because there's, I think, a misperception of using credit versus carrying a balance. People think those are the same things. They're not. <laughs> um, right. and, and so, you know, fast forward. I mean, I heard this years ago and I still hear it today. So there's clearly a lot of misinformation out there. But this particular listener says that his score is in the mid 600s. And we know that the FICO score is between 300 and 850. What can this person do to build their score. Are there any methods that are faster than others? What's a good place to start? I'd say the great place to start is making certain that everyone just understands to begin with the five key factors and what the weights are going into the model. And also to be cognizant that one might need to be a little bit patient based upon their credit profile to get to the target score that they have in mind. Uh, But we always recommend to get personal advice. You know, there's a number of not-for-profit credit counseling firms that FICO works with that will go into your credit report and come up with a recommended action plan. What we do know is, you know, to start with payment history, you know, is the most important which is 35%. So, you know, knowing that uh, you've been able to pay your bills as agreed over time is very informative to the score, as well as what they refer to is the severity of the delinquency. So was it 30, 60, or 90 days? So a 30-day having a lesser impact than 60 or 90. So I think that that's um, helpful information. We then move into, as you noted, amounts owed, or some people refer to it as utilization, his question. And that's 30% of the score. And really what it's looking to understand is out of the available credit that's available on what we refer to as a revolving trade lines like credit cards, how much is actually being used versus what's available. And somehow or other, we, there, it seems to be this mythology that you've noted that people suggest that 30% is a good target number. And we'd say, you know, it's good to demonstrate that you've used your um, credit, but you definitely do not need to hold a balance. I would recommend actually holding a balance if you're able to less than 5% to maximize the points on your FICO score calculation. I'm so glad you said 5% because I think in the personal finance advice world, we often will say things like 30%, you know, try not to exceed 30% of your available credit at any given time. And I find that I read, then I read other statistics that say like the people in this country with the best credit scores are not borrowing up to 30% of their limits every month, they're doing maybe 10%, maybe even less. So I think 5% is a really, uh, I think, much more specific and accurate 
piece of advice and and people people and 30% is so broad in general it's like 0 to 30% that's a lot of <laughs> that's a <laughs> lot of range give me something a little more targeted that is a big range perhaps the original intent for Anoush was to make certain that people realize that you don't want to go up to 100% yes uh, because that would also be considered a negative Yes. You mentioned, um, you know, the importance of your payments specifically tied to revolving credit, like credit cards and, and a listener is wondering, can you even build credit without a credit card? Let's say you just have a student loan in terms of the weight, I guess, on your credit score calculation, where does a student loan sit versus a credit card? Yeah, so you can absolutely build credit without a credit card uh, and get a FICO score. So let's just reiterate the minimum um, criteria is to have one open credit obligation, which could be a credit card or installment loan, such as a student loan. Um, and it needs to be open and reported for a period of six months. So there's sufficient amount of history to track that uh, payment history. And then also to make certain that we have something new or refreshed information coming into the credit report over a six-month window so that um, the information is fresh. So with that said, many people get started with a student loan as their first credit obligation and they certainly could get a score without opening up a credit card. All right. Then let's not forget that part of your score, I believe, also the score likes to see even mixed credits. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It's not as significant as payment history, but it's there. It is. So it makes up 10% of the weight of your score. And so it is helpful to be able to demonstrate that you've been able to successfully pay off multiple different types of credit obligations. So an installment loan to a credit card, and there is an opportunity to improve your score as a result of that experience. And just to understand what a FICO score represents, right? This is the number, the score that so many, most lenders review as part of your overall application when they're considering giving you a line of credit, whether that's a credit card, a mortgage, a car loan. So it is, why again, why it's important to have a mix of credit, right, is because it just shows that you are hopefully more res- are responsible with all different types of borrowing and credit. So it just kind of strengthens your eligibility for a new loan. Is that pretty much it or is there is there more a little more to it? That is a great summary. I that is wonderful. You're right. All right, well I know where I can go get a job if I ever need one. I can just <laughs> um I I am a bit of a credit junkie, I will say, like in the best in the best way possible. I I've been um my father was very much um one of my first credit educators. He used to keep all of his credit cards in an album. I don't know, maybe it was the immigrant in him that was, it kind of like, it kind of represented like the American dream. Cause in Iran, there's not really credit, <laughs> but in uh-huh. America, we are such a credit oriented society that it was for him sort of like, I don't know, he had such a pride with it. But anyway, I digress. Let's talk about some more of the confusion around credit score calculations. You know, there's a lot of different kinds of scores out there, even within the FICO empire, there's, you could have different FICO scores. Someone said, I have a score of 715 
819 and then 820 over there. Why are the scores so different? And does it matter if they're not so disparate? Awesome question. So you're right. FICO does develop new credit scoring models roughly every um, five to six years. Uh, And the intent to do so is to make certain that we are building the absolutely most predictive model on the freshest data, because that helps both lenders and consumers uh, with the best credit decisions. And so one of the things that I think is is critical to do when you go to check your, your credit score or your FICO score is to make certain that you're going to a resource is actually reporting to you which score version it is, what bureau is pulled from, and on what date. And so if you use any of the resources that we have part of our, what we refer to as our open access program, which are lenders sharing to consumers freely the scores that they use to make credit decisions themselves to create transparency, they will give you all that information. And so that's the beginning to make certain at least you're comparing apples to apples. Whilst there's other credit scoring models out there that have replicated the FICO score range, the underlying analytic is different and the results will differ. Mm-hmm. So make certain you've got a FICO score and then make certain that you know which version and from which bureau. If there's still differences, it's not because the fundamental inputs are different into the FICO score from one model to the next. It just may be that there's different information at each one of the credit bureaus. For example, one credit furnisher may only provide information to one of the three bureaus which could result in that difference that you're seeing. I see. Oh, okay. So that's something new. I didn't know that creditors don't always report to all the three major bureaus. I guess you could just check your credit report to see, right? Exactly. So great advice. Um, Everyone should go out to annualcreditreport.com. During the COVID time period, they're providing credit reports for each of the three bureaus, Equifax, Experian, TransUnion, for free on a weekly basis. So it's a great way to monitor, to make certain that you know what is being reported for yourself and make certain that it looks like it's accurate during this time period. As you noted earlier, people are asking for assistance through forbearance programs. So it's an opportunity to check and make certain that that is flowing through correctly. I know that there are some changes in the score calculation that have happened recently. Can you go through that a little bit? I know like at the beginning of the year, there was FICO score 10. I think this is a good time to sort of refresh on that because, well, the world really changed after January. We may have not caught that article (laughs) that went out at the top of the year. Yeah. So as we talked about in our thread of innovation, uh, FICO did build two new models uh, that are going to be available through each of the three credit bureaus. It's called FICO Score 10 and FICO Score 10T. Uh, the difference really is that one uses something that's referred to as trended data. So it's going to um, have a longer look to understand 
uh, that utilization on credit cards that we spoke about earlier. Um, so a 24 month look back. So what you won't see is, you know, significant movement there. It's going to be more of a trend line. The important thing for your listeners to know is it's brand new in the marketplace. Lenders are just beginning to test. So I think it will be early before they, currently it would be early to see actually a lender using it for a credit decision at this point in time. And so I'm just curious, like behind the scenes, what prompts a credit score model to change? Yeah. So you generally, there's um, a couple key things. One is, did the data change? So were there um, new types of data coming into the credit file uh, that would be important to consider within the model? Uh, so for example, an innovation in a prior version of the score was that we started to include rental a payment data because there was finally sufficient amount of that information coming in. We knew it was predictive. And so we wanted to incorporate it into the model and give folk credit for paying their rent on time. Uh, so that would be one reason. Um, the other is, as you noted, um, just consumer behavior changes over time. And so you want to make certain from an analytically derived perspective uh, that we're capturing any and all signal in that in order to update the models. So uh, we get in on a regular basis, depersonalized research data from the credit bureaus so that we can go in and test and understand is there a sufficiently enough difference that it makes sense to rebuild the model. If you want to check your credit score I think there's some confusion around that. People aren't sure where to go that's the best. People think I have to pay for it or I have to, you know, there's a lot of advertisements for check your free credit score, but is it the right score? Is it the actual score that lenders are looking at? So where I think is most important is to take a look at a program uh, that we call the FICO score open access program. Uh, you can go to the FICO score.com website in order to get a list of the participating financial institutions that are providing your score for free. Generally it comes along with your monthly statement they're going to provide the top reasons for why you have the score you have. So I think about that as a roadmap for what two actions might I take to improve my score if I would like to. Um, as again, we noted that it will sell like what version of the score it is and what bureau and what date it was pulled. There's also um, a programs by um, in particular a Discover um, card who is more than willing to give you the your FICO score for free, even if you're not a customer. So mm. there's a number of places to find your true FICO score, which is important because as you noted, it's used in over 90% of all credit lending decisions. Um, and so if you're preparing to make an application for credit, you're going to want to know what your FICO score is. Awesome. That's really great. It has been quite a complicated, it shouldn't be so complicated to access your credit score. You know, I, I'm so glad we've had access to our credit report for so many years for free at, through annualcreditreport.com. And some people think that means you should, that means that you're going to go to that site and also get your credit score. I've heard that too. Like, why, wait, I thought I went to the site and I didn't get my credit score because your report is different than your score. You're exactly right. The two things are different. And I think the, the key question is what score, right? And so we think that the best way to do it is to get it from your financial institution Mm -hmm. know that you're getting the score that they use to make credit decisions. 
Awesome. All right. Can't do an episode about credit without talking about couples and credit. A lot of listeners are confused and rightly so, I think, about like what does it mean when you get married and, and does that impact your credit? I want to apply now, co-apply for a loan with my partner. What now? Whose score is going to matter more? One person writes in and says, Farnoosh, does my student loan my student loan affect my husband's score if we get married? I think we have some good news for this person. The answer is no. You're exactly right. (laughs) No, each person's credit report and score remains separate from each other. So you're going to have your own credit history and it won't impact either party uh, when you get married, you know, so there's no kind of joint credit score, you know, each of you will continue to manage your own. So typically there's a very common question that we get when we do these score better future events. And then the follow-up generally, because I think there's a little competitive nature sometime between couples is why would my spouse have a better score than I? The time that it will matter to your point at application is just if you're making a joint application for credit. Um, and that happens frequently in the mortgage industry. And so they're going to look to understand uh, the strength of both parties' credit to help make that mm-hmm. payment. The one thing I would say, and I because I get this question a bit, and and I will say that sometimes in marriage there is a tendency to refinance debt, and like let's say you came into the marriage with a student loan that had a high interest rate, and you refinanced it, but you happen to like refinance it with your husband, um, with him on it as a co-signer. You know, some couples think like we're in it together now, so we're just gonna do everything together, even including yeah. all of our financial paperwork, and not thinking like, oh, now that my husband's on my loan, now that I've refinanced, this does actually now impact his credit. That may seem really straightforward to people and like duh, Farnoosh, but I think that we sometimes not knowingly will refinance, at that point, engage our partners. And then that is when the credit score will reflect, both of your credit scores will reflect that debt. Uh, But uh, to your point, yeah, if you keep everything separate, then your score should uh, not be commingled. uh, But it is, they'll both be important when you go to apply for anything together. So that's important to remember. Your your partner's credit does matter. It's just that it's not going to necessarily infringe on your score. Excellent, excellent point. And so just cognizant always, if you co-sign a loan for somebody um, and their payment history on that uh, subsequent to your co-signing is also your payment history. So really important. To round us out, some some good news. Let's say you've done all of the right things. You've been paying your bills on time. You've been responsible with credit. You've reached a point. And I think this is a lot of my listeners because my listeners are so money. They are now at a place where they've got excellent credit. Are there any special allowances or like how can you really leverage a top score? You know, Curtis, you hit on that topic at the top of this program, you know, the the key benefit is going to be in the cost of access of credit. Um, And so on the MyFICO um, website, we have these fantastic local calculators uh, that can make this very real for consumers where you can understand, you know, based upon either an auto I want to purchase or a mortgage, 
if my credit score was a 700 versus a 740, what's the difference that I would pay in interest over the life of that loan? And it really is, can be remarkably different. So, you know, we would absolutely suggest, you know, that there's a a key reason to make certain that you understand and try to get to that uh, that best possible pricing if economically feasible for yourself. If you have a great credit score, go get those low interest rates and finally leverage your <laughs> your your credit skills, um, your credit acumen to get to the next level in your life, whether that's buying that home or starting that business. Joanne Gaskin, thank you so much for providing such clarity and great steps and information for our listeners. I know credit is top of mind for so many people. We really appreciate it. We're going to put all the links that you mentioned on the So Money Podcast website. And we wish you and your family continued health the rest of the year. Thank you, Farnoosh. And uh, if anyone is looking for additional free educational information, I would definitely encourage them also to consider going to scorebetterfuture.com. We have a great resource page um, and ongoing events to discuss uh, credit um, in more detail. So thank you for initiating. 